thank you uh, for everyone who's attending today. We really appreciate it. Um, again, my name is David Billado. I'm a family law attorney in uh, Newton, and um, I'm very pleased. This is, this is, I guess this is the very last recurring uh, seminar we're going to be doing this summer, but it's, it's been a lot of fun, and I want to thank everyone for joining us uh, each week. And all the different panelists, I know uh, Nan, who's here, has done this twice. Judge, Judge Ricky's done it probably 300 times. And um, I'm sick of seeing me. I know all the registrants are sick of seeing me. But, and, and, and Jocelyn, thank you, obviously. Um, you know, I, I just want to say um, I really appreciate everyone's uh, effort. And, and people were so great about joining. And I think there was a lot of interest from you know, bar members and, and people to, to join and learn. And it's, it's been really great. So thank you very much. Um, so without further ado today, we're talking about uh, conciliation programs in the probate and family court. And we have a great panel today. We have uh, Judge Susan Rickey, who's now retired and in private practice. She does mediation, conciliation, uh, master appointments, uh, case conciliation, you name it, she does it. Um, we have uh, Nan Sauer, who's a partner uh, in, wait, where's, you're, you're in Burlington. Is that where you are we're, right now, Nan? We're in Burlington, Massachusetts, yep. Okay. Robertson Sauer, and um, her, her practice uh, is exclusively family law? Uh, yes, family law, litigation, and I also do some neutral work like GAL work, uh, conciliation, mediation, yep. Great, thank you. And, uh, and we also have uh, attorney Jocelyn Welch, formerly uh, administrative attorney of the probate and family court with uh, in the chief's office. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. We, we were joking before the seminar, whether or not formerly is the appropriate title for you, Jocelyn. Okay, uh, just to clarify, I retired in July, 2019 and four days later began doing per diem work in the field, which includes limited issue settlement conferences which we'll, we'll talk about today. Um, I'm excited to talk about. So is, it was funny, um, the, the, the four of us got together earlier this week and I think it became clear that the correct title for this, this talk might've really been, um, you know, budget options for, for resolving your cases or something along those lines, because that's what we're really trying to, I mean, it's a lot of conciliation, but I think that's really what we want to share with people today is what, you know, there's a lot of really good options that I think, at least from what, where I'm sitting, a lot of people don't know how to access, don't even know what to access. So we're going to go, there's a, there's a bunch of programs that I think, you know, really make good, you know, additions to your tool belt as a lawyer, or if you're not a lawyer and you're watching this, it's something you can either try and um, uh, get going in your own case or maybe ask your lawyer about um, because I think that it's, it's, it's amazing how great these programs are and, and they're, they're more or less free and you get access to some amazing attorneys and retired judges. Um, so I, th I think it's a real shame that more people aren't doing it, but hopefully um, we can we can share some of the information today and people will go forth and, and utilize. Um, so I guess, why don't we start with uh, Jocelyn, do you wanna tell us, why don't we start with you and we'll talk about the limited um, issue conciliation program. Can you tell folks what that's about? Sure, uh, if we began in 2013, it was the brainchild of then Chief Justice Ordonez. It is a program which offers a case with limited issues, the opportunity to meet with a hearing officer who is a retired probate and family court judge to try and address whatever matters remain unresolved to settlement. The selling factor for the program is that after an hour or more with the retired justice, if the, pro, if the case settles, then the case can go before a judge immediately that day, wherever it is that we're meeting and the parties do not need to return to court. And, and how, do, how do people get signed up for this program? 
there is a request form. It is on the mass.gov probate and family court forms. It is CJD 114 and it is entitled Request for Limited Issue Settlement Conference. The only change I would suggest is it says to return it to me at the administrative office. There aren't many people on a daily basis at the administrative office. So I would suggest it be sent to me at my home email, which is jdwesq667 at hotmail.com. Okay. And I, I don't know if uh, Nan and Judge Ricky, I, I want to let you guys jump in. I don't know if Nan's actually done this program or not. I know I have. That, that was actually how I met Judge Ricky a number of years ago. And um, I, I, think it's, I think it's a great way, you know, I did it, the case we met, Judge, you were, volunteer, you were very generous. I think you gave us like four or five hours of your time. And um, it was a modification case, which involved a recalculation of support. And you were very gracious to meet with everybody and give your time. And, and one of the things that I thought was really cool was that, I mean, this was pre-COVID, but um, we got, we typed up the deal that day. I think Jocelyn told us to bring our laptop and be prepared to do that. And we actually got in front of, uh, it was Judge Casey at the time, he was still in Norfolk. I think he was the e-judge that day. And we got that judgment approved that afternoon. I mean, it was amazingly efficient. Can I go first a little bit and then you can talk yeah, about please. your experience with it? Okay. So um, I retired in 2016 and I must tell you that I primarily my last years after this program started when I was sitting were in Essex and Worcester and those counties really were not using limited issues. Limited issues is open to all counties but generally you are, you are doing a Suffolk case in Norfolk or a Plymouth case in Barnstable or whatever it would be. You don't necessarily go to the site of where your case is filed. You ask for a limited issue conference with a retired judge. Jocelyn then pairs the retired judge, finds out their availability and attorney's availability. So she schedules it around the attorneys and the parties time frames. It's not like you just get an order that you're having a hearing that day. Jocelyn works very hard to schedule it around all of the attorneys and the party's um, time availability and of course the retired judge's hearing officer's availability. When I came on board, um, she was scheduling five uh, settlement conferences or limited issue conferences during my day, generally at a Friday in Norfolk, with them all being 45 minutes each. Now, those of you who know me, or those of you who have heard me talking on David's wonderful BBA presentations know that I can't do anything in 45 minutes. So they turned into four to five hours, just as David suggested. So I never quite got to the whole five persons, but I would come back and finish them, or many settled anyway. Mm -hmm. The beauty is that Jocelyn has sent to the hearing officer the relevant pleadings, the financial statements and even more than so when you were a judge where you might not have had all the pleadings for a motion session or whatever it would be to read you familiarized yourself if there was a GAO report Jocelyn would get that to the hearing officer so when I came in to do my two or three or four or five I was ready for them although I suggest if you use this program to counsel that you bring copies because for example if you have a Suffolk, Suffolk docket number, but the site is in Norfolk. Jocelyn does not have the file with her. She would not have the file with her. So you're going, if you bring copies of everything, just presume just like at court, things aren't going to be in the file when you get there. So just bring copies of everything you want. Now it's very interesting what attorneys suggest to be a limited issue because <laughs> A business valuation and a property division, it's a limited issue. It's property division. Nice. It's just 20834 judge, but we know that can go on for a three-day trial. So it's very interesting as to how counsel defines what they want to be a limited issue. But I think it has an incredibly high success rate. Jocelyn, you can speak to that. Has it 75%? It, 
Okay, 75%. Okay. okay, now I don't necessarily settle mine all that day. I generally give the attorneys my either email or my cell and I go, you know what, if you get stuck on this one little thing, you're close. Somebody needs more information. Somebody needs to think about it. That's fine. But the beauty is that even if you are sitting in Norfolk and it's a Suffolk, the Norfolk emergency judge becomes the Suffolk judge, signs it and accepts it and you're done. You don't have to come back to court. You don't have to wait for a hearing date. So it does not matter what venue you're sitting in. It matters that a judge will hear it even if it is not their county. It's not like you had a Suffolk case, but I'm in Norfolk and we settle it and you've got to go back to Suffolk. Mm -hmm. Totally a confidential process. All you say to the judge is thumbs up, thumbs down. I settled it. I didn't settle it. You never discuss with the judge anything. The judge probably might not even be there because it could be a different county. Might not even be in the building, but it, it's all it is is thumbs up or thumbs down. It's generally, uh, with the newer judges, I am not sure how much training they have gotten as to the availability of this program. But as Jocelyn suggested, there's a form. You don't need a referral from the court. Attorneys can ask for it themselves. So I will stop there and ask Nan to explain her, um, her experiences with that program. Well, I, I haven't actually participated in the program, though my colleagues have and, and, and have had a positive experience with it. Um, you, you mentioned the, the being in court and, and presenting it to the judge. Have we had these sessions during, uh, during the COVID time, Jocelyn? And if so, how, how have they been? We have um, had one case that Judge Ricky served as a hearing officer. She and I were ensconced with the attorneys for both sides in an office where we could socially distance. Yeah. And the parties were available via Zoom, which was not our first choice, but I think it worked. Um, and Judge Ricky did work with them after the fact to refine the plans. And I d don't know for sure that it went back to the court. Yeah. And I just, last summer, Judge Casey graciously met with all of the hearings officers about have us all together. He took us all to lunch, talked about how it was working. And Jocelyn, chime in here, please. But the judges that attended and want to participate, the retired judges, Judge Gibson, Judge Kaplan, Judge Scandora, Judge Kopelman, Judge Kagan, Judge Giganji, Judge Roach, wow. Judge Steinberg, and myself. And Jocelyn, I might have missed somebody, but those are the judges that are participating or available to participate. So I want the bar to know the breadth and the depth. You don't get to pick the hearing officer you want. It's not like I never want to go in front of Judge Ricky. <laughs> so give me Judge Steinberg, but uh, you get assigned to a judge, Jocelyn, if I'm correct. But I wanted you to know those are the judges off of memory that are available to do this. But that's, that's significant. I mean, that's like two whole courthouses worth of judges right. that will help you try to settle your case for free. I mean, that's that's. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I didn't even realize there were that many involved. Um, we do have a question here. It says, um, it, so maybe this is a good topic in terms of you started talking about this, Judge Ricky, the sort of the scope of what is appropriate for this particular program. The question is, is, discover, is discovery able to be done prior to the program? And is the is this a binding decision? I'm assuming whatever the recommendations are in the conciliation. Um, yes, I mean, you can, you can ask for a limited settlement conference, you know, two days before trial. There's no, there's no date that it has to be done. Often they come in after pre-trial. You've already spoken with the judge, met with your trial judge, they've given you some suggestions, or you're down to that one awful issue of, you know, summer vacations and holidays that you just can't get unstuck on. Mm -hmm. um, so there is no time of when it, you should have your discovery done. It's not helpful right. to come in if you don't know what the valuation of anything is. I'm sorry, David, what was the second part of that question? Is what is happens in, yeah, is oh. a binding? No, because it's just another form of mediation. I don't, you know, I make oral recommendations. I don't write anything. I don't put any notes into the file. 
Jocelyn is sitting there often able to pull up when we were in the courtroom setting. She could pull up and print things from mass courts if things were properly scanned in because we might need an old financial statement if we're doing a modification of money now and council doesn't have the old and you always need to know what something, uh, what the income or assets were worth or whatever at the time. But um, no, there's no, there's no written recommendations at all. T attorneys have asked me privately to make some written recommendations just so that they can, uh, that, that it just goes to them. So I go home and think about something, maybe something we've not been able to settle. And I mm -hmm. say, I'll go home and think about it and, and email you some written recommendations. But that is not part of the program. You would yeah. not be bound in any way by that. I, I think what happens, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it, it, it behooves the attorneys to get a little creative because you might have this, you know, you might have this big case that feels like there's a hundred issues, but a lot of times there's maybe one or two things that are holding up the other 90 things. And, you know, that's not always the case, but I've, you know, maybe Nan can speak to this, but I found in my practice, there's, it's like, if I can get that one thing sorted out, I'm going to be able to knock the other pins down without a problem. And, and I, are those the types of cases that we should be trying to bring in where we can say, we just need help with this one thing and we'll deal with the rest on our own later? That's what the, that's what the hearing officers would like, limited. <laughs> and I say that only because of a timing. Because it's, right, it's a valuable service to the, first of all, to the litigants, most importantly to the litigants, but also to the bar. So you want to make the judges available as to as many people as you can. So, but David's right. If it's an inheritance issue, for example, if it's a premarital, what somebody brought in and how the court would possibly handle a return of premarital funds, those, and you're stuck on that and you can't go any farther. I think that's a perfect example. And may I also add, we do probate cases as well. It's not just family law cases. Jocelyn, I'm correct, right? It can be any referral. So I've done several probate cases or many probate cases as well, as have the other hearing officers. So those of you that do both in your practice, it's also available for that. And, and what about a contempt? Is that the type of thing that we could bring to this program? We, I don't know that we have specifically, but there is nothing in writing that would exclude it. So if the, it's on the request, I can have a conversation with counsel and then with the hearing officer and determine if it's appropriate. A COVID contempt, right? <laughs> Correct. No, I mean, it's a, a contempt has a mod, right? Often yeah. contempts have modifications that are simultaneously pending. So you handle both of them at the same time. I think we've done some Jocelyn in the sense that it was a modification, but there was also a contempt. So you just take care of both of them at the same time. And judge, maybe Jocelyn, is this the type of program, this is a question that just came in, is, is this the type of program where attorneys have to be on both sides or can there be a pro se or two pro se's if they're... The parameters of the program require that at least one side be represented by counsel. Okay. It's easier if both sides are but we have certainly done it with one side being pro se. Okay, great, good to know. Um, is there anything else that anyone on the panel wants to say about this particular um, program before we move to the next one? I just wanna make sure we have time to do a, a little bit about each one. Um, I guess these are in no particular order too, I should say that. Um, I mean, they're all great programs. I think you have to sort of decide what is the right fit for your own particular case. Um, the next one is why don't we why don't we talk about the the county bar programs? I mean, there's a, just so everyone knows, there are a number of count. Maybe Nan can speak to this, but there's a number of uh, Middlesex County, Norfolk County that yeah. do conciliation programs. Can can you tell us a little bit about that, Nan? Yeah, sure. I, I think that what people will find, and, and I think people are most familiar probably with the Middlesex program, uh, at least those that are in the Boston area, um, but the, each of the counties and their respective bar associations often will have uh, programs, volunteer programs, where 
practicing lawyers will volunteer their time to do a conciliation on a case. And I think, um, you know, if you, if you practice in Middlesex, you'll know that you can, you can ask for that, um, that assignment to be made. Uh, and the way that that works is that you, you coordinate with uh, Diane Verner in the Middlesex uh, County Bar Association and you get assigned a conciliator to your case. Um, often that's under a temporary order from the court uh, and you pay a fee. I think it's a $50 flat fee for the, yeah. for the privilege of having a lawyer come to you and work for hours and hours uh, to help you settle your case. And it's a, it's a great program in Middlesex. I know that, that many of the other counties uh, in Massachusetts have similar programs. And in fact, if you go to the mass.gov website and you search for uh, family law conciliation, I think you'll, you'll find um, a list of the, the court sanctioned programs. And also if you just Google your county uh, for a bar association, you'll find your respective bar association. You can go to their website, see what it's all about, call the person at that bar association and talk to them about what the program entails. Because I think each one, each one is unique um, in how they run it and who, you know, who participates. Uh, but they're, they're great programs. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people are aware of them, but many of them are not. And, and it's such a good value um, to your clients, especially in these times when you're faced with, you know, getting nothing done in court or settling outside of court. So it's a, it's a really uh, no better time to take advantage of these, of these great programs than now. And, and I highly it, recommend it. And I know I'm, I'm actually doing one right now where I'm one of the lawyers. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. There's, there's a lot of great lawyers that are involved. I know you're involved, Nan. Um, the one I'm working on right now is with Cal Heinley, and uh, who's also a great lawyer. And he's, he's given us like six hours of his time totally for, well, yeah. for 50, for 50 bucks. Um, which That's I don't think That's a good deal. Keeps, I don't know if he gets a cut of that or, or how that works, but um, maybe they got to negotiate that uh, with the union or something. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's really, I think, I think what happens, maybe you can speak to this, but I think, you know, people, people don't volunteer their time to, to waste it. So in other words, like, I, you know, I think yeah. the lawyers, they're not going to spend 300 hours but if they feel like they're an hour away from getting that case settled, they'll hang in there and, and sure. help see that through. Is that how you feel when you're on these cases? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I want people to get those cases done. You know, it's not my case, but I want them to get it done. Uh, it, you know, it, it frees up the judges from, from the big giant list of cases they all have on their dockets. And it's, it's just good to get things going. And absolutely, I think, and I know Judge Ricky has done this on, on occasion, on many occasions, which is to stay late uh, to get it done. And, and I think it benefits everybody to do that. So I would encourage litigators out there who, who don't yet participate in these things to maybe volunteer some of your time. It's, it's a great experience. It's great exposure to you, you. You get to see a lot of issues that you might not see in your own cases. And, and it's, I think it's just beneficial overall. Yeah, there's actually um, MCLE does, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's an annual program, but they have one coming up in October. It's a, it's, I don't know if it's going to be Zoom or in person, but it's a day long seminar. And I know Nan, you and I have done that a few years ago. Um, it's a great program. There's a, there's, I think there's a dozen or so judges that are involved in the program. Even if you're not going to sign up, um, it's, it's a great program. And I, I would, I think it's only a hundred dollars for the day. Again, another great value for, as a lawyer to get that experience and, and get access to all those, all that, all those judges who have a lot of interesting thoughts and ideas about, about how to practice. Right. And David, you're referring to the one day conciliation training, right? Yes. Yes. And yeah. And after you go through that one day of training, you'll, you actually get a little certificate that you can hang up on your wall and, and say, I'm a conciliator <laughs> now. Um, and you can, you know, then the bar associations will say, okay, great. You can, we'll add you to our volunteer list. Yep. Yep. So, so it's good. Here, good experience. Here's a question that just came in. Can a mediator recommend slash refer cases to a court conciliator or other program, especially to resolve a narrow issue that might be holding up movement towards a full settlement? 
Interesting question. <laughs> I think the question is, so you're in mediation, they're all, the parties are already in mediation, whether it be voluntary or whether it be for reduced fee or for full fee, but they're stuck on something. Can those parties then take advantage and go to the limited issues type of a mediation or program? Yeah, or county bar association. Yeah, or county bar association. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, again, you would want attorneys or one person would have to, one side would have to be represented if it's going to go to the, to the uh, limited issues program. I don't right. know about the county bar. Um, so I can't answer that any better than that unless you all know something more. Yeah, I mean, typically, typically the conciliations to the county bar associations associations have come through a court order. So there's been a temporary order issued that says you guys go to conciliation. Uh, so I'm not sure how that would work or not work. Can you address the Judge Aber, uh, the ends of court Judge Aber programs or project where there's a group yeah. of attorneys also that are have agreed to volunteer to mediate, I believe. Yeah, the, the, the Judge Aber We Can uh, Settle initiative is is in honor of Jeffrey Aber, who, uh, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, that program is also a collection of, of volunteer attorneys who give of their time um, to, to help folks settle cases. Um, that is typically run also county by county. Uh, there, there's a there's a point person in every county um, that that you can call to to ask for that service to be um, to be administered. Uh, like I, I know, for example, in Middlesex, it's it's Krishna is the is the point person, and each of the other counties has has their own uh, point person. Uh, but that's that's a great program as well. Um, it started out with the assumption that it was going to be. Um, uh, attorney represented cases and but it's ended up being being a really wide variety of cases where some people are pro se some people are represented um, you know some of them are big cases big money cases others of them are not um, i have participated in that as as a uh, as a conciliator and and it's been it's been a good program so far and I think a free? lot of people, is it free? is free. Yeah, okay. it's totally free. Um, I've also participated in it as, you know, as one side of a, of a litigation. And, and I, I've also found it to be very useful. Um, so that's, that's just another program that, that you can take advantage of that's absolutely free. And, and it, has, it has good attorneys that, that volunteer their time. Yeah. And if you use a court, uh, I'm sorry, a county program, the Middlesex, Bar Association, Worcester County Bar Association, I'm sure all the counties. Yeah. Do those have the same confidentiality? Because I think that's important for the litigants to know. Where um, the limited issues where I said, I don't tell a judge, all I do is thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. Um, I'm actually not sure offhand, but I'm going to, I'm going to look that up while we're, okay. while we're live online. Um, I do know that, you know, there's another program that, that, that cropped up, um, during this COVID period, which is, and I don't know if they know, do it elsewhere, but in Norfolk County, um, the judges are actually now ordering uh, settlement conferences to take place. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's not assigned to anyone out of the blue. It's, it's attorneys who have volunteered their time and have agreed to be assigned to cases. And the judges actually issue temporary orders. And in that temporary order, it says that, you know, the parties shall uh, participate in a settlement conference with attorney X and you know that they they can have up to four or five hours of time with that attorney to try to settle the case. It's a confidential process to, to go to the question earlier um, and at the conclusion of that process the conciliator who has been assigned reports back to the judge and says yes or no has it, you know, has it settled yes or no? And then the judge will, will then take the next step, which will either be to continue with the litigation and schedule status conference, or they'll, they'll hear the parties um, on, on an agreement. And that's new, you know, that's new since March. That's a program specifically implemented to deal with all the cases that are sort of on hold and, and, you know, trying to get them moving along in whatever way we can. So if anybody is out there and interested in volunteering, that's another program that you can volunteer for through, through the county, through the, through the probate and family court.
But you can't request that. The bar can't request that. That's a judge going through the file and determining that That's this case is ripe for sitting down. Yeah, and I, I think though that I think the order comes at at the conclusion of a pretrial conference, and so I think if they go in, you know, if they're on a Zoom and and present their pretrial, the judge may hear those issues, hear hear where they are far apart or or pretty close, and I think after hearing where the status of the case is, the judge may say, you know what, I think these people just maybe need a little nudge, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get them to participate in a settlement conference, and then let's let's see where we are after that. So it's well, a good way I mean, to keep the cases moving. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I wonder if, I don't know if you know this, Nan, but could one lawyer request something like that if a judge hasn't, you know, maybe it's a perfect case, but that particular judge doesn't know about the program or hasn't really thought to do it. Yeah. Can a lawyer make that request with a motion or have you seen anything like that? I haven't seen it, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Uh, so yeah, I, I would think that would make sense if it, it's just like when, when one party comes in and says, I want, you know, I want a case management conference or I want a status right. conference, you know, right. just asking the court, I don't think there's any harm in that. And in fact, they may confer with the other side and the other side says, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's ask for that. So I don't see why not. Well, it's an interesting dynamic because let's say you have your pretrial and, you know, we know that there's a lot of prep work that goes into that. You do your pretrial memos, you know, you update your financial statements yep. and, you know, you have presumably you've had some sort of four-way, you know, some sort of settlement meeting leading up to that event. And then you have the event. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I've heard, I've heard horror stories. I've had, I've had some good experiences, but I've, I haven't luckily haven't experienced it, but I've heard some people have, you know, pretrials during this COVID time that haven't gone that well because there was not because of the judge's fault, but there was some sort of like technical issue or something happened, you know, people yeah. started jumping on the phone lines and it just, it, it distracted and sort of took away from that opportunity to try and settle. So instead of, you know, asking for another, like a status or another pretrial and sort of revving up all over again, this might be an opportunity to do the same thing at a, at a significantly lower cost. You know, you can just reuse those documents you already used. Right. You don't have to make updated memos, updated financial statements. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when I, I, I conducted a settlement conference recently and we, we did it all by Zoom, uh, the parties simply shipped over to me all their stuff that they had just, you know, they had just filed for their pretrial. So they didn't have to do much extra work at all. Uh, you know, other than maybe giving me new information since the pretrial, but it was a pretty straightforward uh, process and, and we somehow managed to stumble through and effectively use the breakout rooms. I, you know, I learn new things all the time uh, and, you know, and get something done. And in fact, we, you know, we got really close to settlement after spending that, that required four or five hours. Um, and then we ended up coming back a week later uh, to finish it up, and they actually did settle it, and they they then proceeded to um, to an uncontested hearing about a month later, and got it done. So, yeah, so it's it's a great I mean it's a great thing for for everybody to consider because you you don't know when you're going to get into court now. You know you you may get in eventually to court, but it's going to be on a Zoom conference or a conference call, and you know who knows what's going to happen and, and why seed control of, of your lives for an indefinite period of time when you can get it done yourselves and, and, and get a judgment now. Very funny is Nan where I have been appointed by the court or you get, they get the order, the parties get the order, which is you have to go to a settlement conference and I'm the appointed person. Yep. And they're like, they call me and, you know, my number and everything is in the order. And they call me and they go, we didn't ask for this, you know, we didn't ask for you. We <laughs> the judge just did this. So it's a little different than the other programs right. where the attorneys seek it out. But I've been very fortunate. The attorneys have been wonderful. We've settled the cases after four or five or six hours, like you're saying. Yeah. But it's very, very funny because it's different. It's like, really? We didn't. What is this? Yeah. yeah what we, where did this order come from? <laughs> well, I even knew about it. And when I got my order in the mail appointing me, I said, what is this? So, yeah. Right? See? <laughs> See, it's very funny. It's like, yeah. Now, we, we, I wanted to circle back on this issue of confidentiality because I right. think it's an important one. and. Um, 
on now on the on the uh, conciliation when it's court. I guess is there an official name for that program, Nan, or is it just sort of like court ordered conciliation? You mean the the Norfolk program? The, yeah, where, or, where you yeah where you were ordered to conciliate from a judge. Yeah, I mean the I do, I have the order in front of me. It's called settlement conference notice and order, and then it says blah blah blah. I'm I'm assigned. Um, and it, it is confidential. So it says any discussions that occur in the settlement conference, including any offers to settle, shall be completely confidential and will not be communicated to court in any manner. So I, I couldn't even go back to the judge other than to say, you know, yes or no. Um, I, I would not be able to report back to the court um, what my, you know, what, what my, my conclusion was um, so. in the case. This will actually be available for anyone after the program. I'm just sharing this quickly so you can see what the order looks like. Settlement, uh, just as Nan said, settlement conference notice and order. And then um, where's the confidentiality piece? Uh, third paragraph right there. Oh, there we go, right here. Oh. Any discussions, yeah. Can, can you actually see the highlighting on that? So there you go. Um, and that's great. I mean, I think that's an important point. Um, I, I don't know the answer to this. I don't remember from when I've used the program, um, Jocelyn, is there a document that has to be signed for confidentiality purposes for the limited issue conciliation? No, we discussed that at one point, but decided it wasn't necessary to do that. And as Judge Ricky explained, no one, neither she nor I would tell the, the trial judge anything except that your case came in for limited issues and it was settled so that they can clear that case from their calendar or it's possible that a judge did refer it and we just say your case came in for a limited issue settlement conference and it did not settle and they go forward so as judge ricky explained no one would advise the trial judge of what transpired during the settlement conference but no, there is no signed paper. Right. And I, I think that's how the bar, the, the county bars work too, because I just went, I don't know. If yeah, I'm looking at Middlesex right now. I, I mean, I know, that, I know that there's a report that is made back to the court. Yeah, um, I've got a copy of that form too. Um, let me share that quickly. Yeah. This is the one that I recently, uh, let's see here if I can do this. Um, So this is the this is the Middlesex County Bar form, and you can see uh, you just put in you know punch in the information. Um, and in the the instance where I did it recently, we we identified the conciliator who we knew happened to be on the list. We didn't approach the county and say we you know just pull up you know whoever's on the list. You 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 can do either option. Um, and then we, we filled out this form, we sent it back. And then um, I don't know, do you know the details with this part three at the bottom, Nan? Is that, um, do those reports always go back to the court? In, in my experience, yes. The report goes back. But I don't think there's, I think, I think it's, I don't know if the, the, the standing order applies to, I guess that's the, an interesting question. I don't know if the standing, the uh, um, SJC standing order applies to um, these programs. I would think it does. So maybe that's why we don't need a specific contract to be signed by the participants. You're talking about standing order 118? Yeah. 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 So I don't know if, if there are some links and we'll provide those too, but we've provided some links in the chat. Um, it's mass.gov website, which, which Nan referred to earlier. There's, I mean, it's a very long page with a significant amount of information. You'll see all the various options. There's also the SJC rule 1-18, uh, uh, which talks about the dispute resolution, uh, just ethical standards, definitions, uh, those sorts of things. And then also um, Middlesex Bar Association, just an example of, but like Nan said earlier, you can just you can just Google you know Norfolk 
bar association or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, and Judge Ricky, I think there's there's one. I I can't remember. There's one other program. I can't remember the name. It's uh the Phyllis's CFFT. program. CFFT. CFFT is Child Focused Facilitation Team. I am. I, I think the the caveat is I am not sure now that the teams of are working. Child Focused Facilitation Team was a uh, project started by Chief Ordonez when she was the chief, where it is a retired judge, a uh, esteemed child psychologist that works with high conflict families, child custody families, and an experienced trial attorney that has tried uh, child custody cases and also may have served as a guardian ad litem. So it's always a panel of three. And the focus when we began it as a pilot, when Chief Ordonius began it as a pilot, it was Phyllis Federico and myself and Dr. Robin Deutsch. And now it is going to many, many, many counties. And again, it might be in a site where your case is not necessarily, we could be sitting in Middlesex that day, but it could be a Suffolk case that was sent over. But this is generally a referral from the judge. So I think you would have to ask for it. I'm not I know you have to ask for it, and then you get the panel together, you get the uh, attorneys together. The interesting piece is that when we began it, it was to be with what we call frequent flyer families that were back and back and back, and you watched as judges, you watched the children starting to suffer from the effects of the conflict, three years, five years, seven years, seven court files constant conflict that these children were growing up in and were starting to fail and starting to have problems because of the parents' conflict. So we were taking uh, frequent flyer cases is what we would have called them, and it was judge referred, but again, it had to be voluntary. The parties and the attorneys had to agree to opt in. After about a year of doing it, we, um, we decided maybe it was better to start when we saw a family that might be a high conflict family to get them early on. They might not have had experience as parents together. They could have been married or unmarried parents, but separated when the children were very young. And maybe if we could nip it in the bud as wait till they were a seven file family. So it's become a hybrid of both. The purpose is of course to have, it's really an educational process you bring pictures of your children. And when you start to point fingers at each other, presuming that David and I were the warring parents, and David says that everything is wrong with the child because of me, and I say vice versa, the child facilitation team, meaning the child psychologist, the attorney, and the retired judge goes, don't wanna hear that, don't wanna hear that, this is about your child. Let's look at the pictures. And the parties are sitting there. Now, interestingly, the parties are there from 9.30 or 10 until one o'clock without their attorneys. Their mm -hmm. attorneys are on call. That was always troubling to me that their attorneys weren't there to con confer with them, but it kept the advocacy out and that was the purpose. We never asked the parties to sign anything. We just suggested. What mm -hmm. I learned, you know, I'm the whoever the retired judge is that is sitting that day, they're the gatekeeper. They are to say, I hear you, David, but that is not admissible at trial or the judge heard that seven modifications ago and it didn't work. So the, the retired judge is sort of the gatekeeper. Of course, if it's attorney Federico being the expert custody attorney or whoever, and there's been amazing panels, combinations of panels uh, of judges and, and child psychologists and attorneys, she would say, you know, I tried a case like this, or I've tried this many cases, or I served as a guardian ad litem. The court, that is irrelevant. What we're going to talk about is the children. The part that has been the most helpful to me was having the child psychologist there that can over and over and over again explain to the parties the effect of their conflict, whether it be right or wrong. Does not matter who's right or wrong. You can have the best father and the worst mother, the worst mother and the best, right? Doesn't matter, it's still conflict for the children. What the children fear and hear and why they fail and have the problems we know children are going to have, three years, and, and Dr. Deutsch has taught me this. 
you expect three years post-divorce or post-separation that the kids, everybody's going to be in turmoil. If it doesn't settle down after three years, you really have those markers. The kids are going to experiment with drugs, with alcohol. They're going to have trouble with their own relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that all the participants on this, on this Zoom already know. But you do need a referral from the judge. Now, the, the team meets. We get the guardian ad litem reports, the 14 other modifications, whatever they are. And we all probably spend eight to 10 hours preparing before we even meet that morning. We meet from 8.30 to 9.30, quarter to 10, and then the parties come in and we start. At one o'clock, or it generally is two because we just keep going, that's just all of us, right? At, at the end, before the attorneys arrive, because the attorneys are to arrive at two, we do make written recommendations to the parties. They then, their attorneys generally come at one, they meet with their individual attorneys and go over it. And then at two, the attorneys come in and we explain the rationale and what we heard and what were the strengths and weaknesses. But it's really not the strengths and weaknesses for advocacy or trial. It is, you know, he is stuck on this issue. She is stuck on this issue or, or the grandparents are involved or the new boyfriend and girlfriend. Everything that sadly we all see in high conflict custody cases. It has had an amazing, ama and again, if you, I, I want to make sure of this, if you settle, I think you go to that, I think you go to a judge that day. But we allegedly leave. We meet with the attorneys from 2 to 3.30, not the parties again. They go out then and they work with the clients. We don't know anything more. They have gotten written recommendations, but we rip ours up and they never go to the judge. None of the recommendations go to the judge. Often again, they will call us after we give them our number. I know attorney Federico and all the attorneys I've worked with and all the child psychologists have been very generous to the bar sharing, you know, Phyllis has often said as her Mark Smith and other attorneys that have been on my team, uh, here's my number. If you get stuck on this, you know, does it really matter if Halloween starts at five or six, the world's not gonna end, but it's gonna end for these people because they'll fight about anything. But it's an amazing program called Child Focused Facilitation Team. It was started in Florida by a retired judge. Uh, we call it CFFT, but it's very clinical based. It is incredibly more than advocacy. It's very clinical based. Having an instructor like Myra Levitt, Habre, all of, all of the ones that you pay as experts, or consult with as an expert, they come and they do it for free. It's a very long day. It's a very intense day. It's voluntary, the parties, it's very hard for them. You know, they're sitting in a room and they're hearing stuff that they don't want to hear that a trial judge really can't say to them, but the, the retired judges do. And I compliment all the, all the team members that have done it. It's been going on probably a good four or five years, but there's not, you know, it, it probably is only once every six weeks or eight weeks till you can get. So not every, you know, every judge would want to send, you know, we sorted, but we started by saying everybody once a month, you get to send us your worst case. And so everybody has their worst case. Every judge has their worst <laughs> custody case that they just can't fix, that they just can't solve by orders because sadly you can't solve them oftentimes by judgments or by orders. So that has been an amazing program. I would still do it, and I'm sure that we could do them by Zoom. I just not have been. I just haven't been called on by by Krishna, or Krishna runs it out of Middlesex. They do it. Uh, Katie Rice is the uh, does it in Essex. I've gone up there and done it. Judge Kaplan's done it there. Judge Roach has done it. They do it in Barnstable often. But Judge or Dr. Zibel, I'm sorry, does it often. Many, many psychologists travel everywhere. It's just hard to get them to give up a day of their practice or a day and a half of their practice. They've been so generous with their time. I mean, it really seems to me like um, one of the big benefits of all these, I mean, this one in particular, but all of the programs that you don't, I mean, obviously the efficiency and the cost, all that, but getting access to the education, I think, helps settle these cases. I mean, my perspective is, you know, you go into court and it's just like, yes or no. Like, am I going to get this support? Am I going to get that support? Am I going to get this custody? Am I, you know, you don't necessarily get 
an education about like, this is why the way you're looking at it may not be the, the best way or the right way or the, whatever it is. And I think that help, I mean, I'm curious what the panel thinks, but that's my perspective is when you can spend the time and help the client educate themselves, then they are in a better position to settle their own cases because they have more information. And, and, and sometimes you don't get even get that directly from your own lawyer um, at, at times. Well, it's a different perspective, David. You're absolutely right. You still, you're zealously advocating for your client. That's what you have to do. And it's very interesting that no matter what forum this is in, and I'm sure you and Nan who do mediation or conciliation agree, you come from your pretrial hearing, hearing what of course favors your client and disfavors the other side. That's just human nature. Or you only hear the bad, you don't hear the good. So it's very important to hear it from a neutral. And we don't always know that you're going to have the same judge right. because of so many retirements this year, et cetera, right. that you're going to have the same judge. So. It's certainly worth sitting down and being educated on many positions of and what's just having out the there. time to explain right. it to someone, yeah. I think makes it, you know, we go to these pretrials, we get 15, 20 minutes, you know, judge so-and-so doesn't have time to sit down and, you know, spend an hour with you explaining why things are a different way. Um, and I and, think that can make a big difference. And many judges at a pretrial, and, and I do not disagree, I understand why, they're afraid to commit too much, understandably, because then you preach, you judge the case, prejudged the case. And so, you know, you're being very neutral at a pretrial. You're right, without a lot of explanation, David. So I think this, people just want to be heard. They yes, want sir. to be listened to. They want to tell their story. Yeah. And if they can do that with a neutral, that helps them so much get unstuck. I think so too. Yeah. So here's a question, and then I want to ask one more thing of the panel, and then we've got to wrap up because we're running out of time. Uh, but this has been really great today. Um, question, are older kids slash teens also negatively affected when the parties keep litigating over financial issues, mods, contempts, etc.? Payor doesn't pay support, uses court system and process to bully recipient, how do you and judges handle parties like this, frequent flyers of a different type, question mark? I think the first answer is yes, of course. I, I think kids are impacted by that, sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, even at any age, even 18, yeah. 20, you know, even the older kids. Yeah. This is what we're nervous about, about Zoom hearings, right? This is what judges are nervous about, not me, but the sitting judges, is who hears, who's in the house, right? Yeah. Oh, don't worry, judge, the kids are in the other room. Yeah, but, but kids can hear if they want to hear, they can pick up on it. And judges are very concerned about telephonic or Zoom hearings, about the children being present. The parents may not even know that the kids have, the, the teenagers or any age have their ears to the door, or the parents may be encouraging, right? So the first thing the judges tell me that they start is, your kids aren't hearing this, right? And everybody goes, oh no judge, kids aren't anywhere around, but you know they are, right? I mean, you see them walk through. So not even necessarily purposefully, but sometimes very purposefully. And I think that that's, I don't, it pits children against each other without knowing the facts and certainly without knowing the law. Pits them against one parent. If it's a money issue like this, like this participant is asking the question, David, not just on custody issues, right. but on money issues. Yeah. I think yeah. that's very painful and they shouldn't, they should not be exposed to that. There's a reason that kids aren't in courtrooms, right? right. Yeah. Um, very quickly, I wanna ask the panel, um, just because I suspect this is where most of these types of programs will go now. I mean, what 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 do you think about the differences between or the effectiveness of virtual conciliations or virtual meetings of this type, whether it's phone or Zoom? Do you think it's as do you think it can be as effective as in person, or do you think it poses certain problems in the process? Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts on that. Um, I, I certainly think that that doing a Zoom is better than doing nothing. Um, I think doing a Zoom is usually better than just a conference call where you can't see the participants and you you know you can't see them roll their eyes or you know or turn away and and you know when when Judge Ricky is talking very disrespectfully turn away and 
but but I think that obviously in person is better. You know, any 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 of any time you have a more direct connection, you're going to have more success. I think. Obviously, we're limited now by by health concerns. Um, but that, I think that people have been really creative during this time um, to try to be as connected as possible. And I, you know, Judge Ricky and Jocelyn gave the example of when you ran that session, the two of you were actually in the same room while some of the other participants were on Zoom. And we've done the same thing um, in our office too for, you know, whether it's client meetings or depositions or, or conciliation sessions, We've tried whenever possible to get folks in, in the same room where, you know, if we have a big enough room, you can be, you know, 12 feet apart. And, and if you're comfortable, you can take your mask off. If you're not comfortable, you leave your mask on. Um, but I think, that, I think that we have to understand that this is going to be a, a part of how we operate. It may not be mandatory, you know, in the long term, but it's certainly an option. And it's you know we've had we've all had to get up to speed get get up to speed really quickly on how to work this way, um, just because we had to. I think it was coming anyway, but we had to do it a lot more rapidly. So I I think that I think that this forum can be used and and be used to success. It's just a matter of everyone getting used to it and understanding how to how to operate and you know do it do as much as you can. I think it's very different having a Zoom trial hearing than having oh, a yeah. Zoom ADR. Yeah. Because of course I, you know, I I think my strength is sitting in the room with the attorneys and the parties and the and the parties trusting the conciliator or the mediator or the whoever it is. Right. That there's that element of of trust building and respect building, etc., which is very, very hard to do. There's also Zoom fatigue, where if I'm sitting in a room conciliating or mediating, I'll go from nine to nine, whatever it takes to finish right. it. But after about three hours, my head is exploding. People are going in and out of chat rooms, break rooms, whatever. It's just a necessary evil. I understand that I'm not, evil's even the wrong word. <laughs> necessary now. Necessary. But yeah. I think that most, most neutrals and, and retired judge neutrals would say that it's harder because you can't build that trust, that relationship you need. It, it helps if, if Nan and David are working with me as the neutral and they know me and they've told their clients, but if the, the neutral, if, I'm sorry, if the attorneys don't know me or don't know the neutral that has been assigned to their case by Judge Borman or whoever it would be on one of those court conciliation orders or whatever the order was called that Nan was speaking about, yeah, that's a bit harder, but it is what it is, and we'll do it. It just there seems to be more starts and stops. You do like two or three hours, and then you yeah. stop, and you start again the next day. Where I think when you stay in the room, you get it done. But but we'll do it. We do what we have to do, right? We have to keep cases going. That seems like the biggest difference from my perspective is I've seen a lot of them be more like um, two hours here, then two hours the next week, then two hours the next week instead of. When we do, you know, traditionally we do the in-person, we go and, you know, spend the day or, or what have you. Right. Um, and you lose something in the, you know, you lose something when you break. You know, they go back and they talk to somebody or, the, you know, you just lose the momentum, sadly. Sometimes you need to do that because you need some more information, but that would happen in an all-day mediation. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. you do hear about the fatigue. And also people now have to get back to their kids, right? School, right there's school issues there's whatever issues so you don't have if you knew that you were going to mediate for eight hours you would have child care there for the eight hours I don't think people expect that when they're just doing it on zoom a zoom yeah. conciliation during the day I think that's yeah. a bit different too yeah and I think Judge Ricky you mentioned trials I think trials are the got to be the most difficult thing to try to do in this medium because to me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, when you're sitting on the bench doing a trial, a lot of what you're doing is watching people. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're watching us right now. I hope we have credibility with you today. But, uh, but you know, but you're watching people on a screen. It's a lot different than seeing their body language during the trial and seeing just sort of the, you know, the, the behavior. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Judges are very concerned about that because that's a huge part of what they do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to All keep right. it going, so we will. 
we'll just have to keep working at it. We've yeah. come a long way in six months. So it's right? really amazing. Right. We have. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the next six months have for us. Um, all right. Well, what was the old saying? Justice delayed is justice denied. denied. We have to modify that now. It's justice delayed is justice. You know what we got to do on Zoom. Right. <laughs> it's justice Zoom. Can I do a shout out to David and to the BBA for doing twelve or fourteen of these? Uh, webinars. It's been amazing that da really that David has coordinated, found the panelists, uh, sent out agendas, done practice meetings. You really need to be complimented, David. Truly, Thank it's you. Well, a huge time. It's yeah. been nice to spend time with with you, Judge and Judge Kaplan. Also, but the two of you have both contributed a lot behind the scenes. That I don't think many people know, but and it's nice to connect with Jocelyn, Nan, all the other people so and the BBA I, the BBA has been wonderful about very supportive yep yeah getting me on zoom correctly that's always <laughs> always the biggest deal so thank well, you David from all of us from the bench yeah, and from the bar and from the litigants and from everybody <laughs> uh, I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out um and, and 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 I've had a lot of fun so all right I guess that's it that's a wrap um, we'll, we'll, we'll roll the credit reel with the outtakes, uh, in just a minute. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jocelyn, Nan, Judge Ricky. I really appreciate your time today. Um, a lot, a lot of interesting programs that I hope people can take advantage of. So thank you for sharing. Thanks a lot, David. Thank you. Thanks, David. Bye, everyone. Have a good week, everybody. Bye. Bye, Jocelyn. Thanks. Bye, Judge.